What is up, Emmanuel? How you doing? Are you excited to be here? I'll tell you what, I am absolutely fired up. I've given this talk two times already. I think it's a good one, and so I cannot wait to give it again to you. Last night went well, 9.15 went well. Uh, before I jump in, I want to tell you a really quick story I think will encourage your heart. Uh, many of you know we're a multi-site campus. Some of you don't know that because you're guests with us here today. What that means is that we, are, we have one church with multiple locations. So right now in the, in the area of Perry Meridian at, at the corner of Banta and Harding, we have an entire church building. They're experiencing a service very similar to this, and they're watching last night's recording that we recorded here in Greenwood on a big screen. And the same thing is happening over in Franklin, down in Franklin at the middle school. They're watching the screen right now. Now, some of you know that because last Last week, I was actually physically in Franklin preaching live, which, by the way, it's awesome over there. You guys watched me on the screens. Was that okay? Yes, some of you said no. Okay. Here's why. Here's why you said no, because you don't yet understand that we're a multi-site church, so you don't like it when I'm not here live. But you will, because we're going to go to multiple locations. That means I'm not always going to be physically here, but you're going to get the same message that we preach live. And if you want to hear me live, you can always come Saturday night. So there you go. Uh, but anyway, we're a multi-site church. Now, it, the, the site in Franklin is a temporary site. We don't want to stay in the middle school every single you know, day, every single weekend for the rest of our you know, life of our church. And so we want to build a permanent site. There, we've got 14 acres, you know, mapped out. We're we're in the process of purchasing that. It's very very exciting. We're trying to raise money in order to build that campus. And uh, so, let me share something with you really quick. We had a, a friend of mine texted my wife last night. She said, "Hey, my my daughter just turned 14, and instead of having a, a normal, you know, birthday party for all her girls with her girlfriends, bring them presents," she said, she said uh, to all of her friends, "Just bring a donation to the Franklin campus." And so this girl's 14 years old, attends our church, and so last night she came to me, she handed me this big wad of cash, (laughs) 14-year-old girl, and inside of it, no joke, is $600. Oh my gosh. And so all of her friends, yeah, all of her friends brought, instead of buying presents, they brought money to her, and so uh, that's exactly exciting, so I'm going to give this to Sherry, and uh, Sherry, sorry, and uh, you know, so that, uh, anyway so she could do something safe with that. Uh, But isn't that incredible? I mean, I thought to myself, what 14-year-old girl, you know, in our world today thinks about giving money to a multi-site campus? You know, not even like the pastor's kids would do that. That's that's like, I I pictured myself saying, hey, kids, no gifts for your birthday. Let's just give the money to the church. They'd be like, dad, what are you smoking? I want some presents. (laughs) It's like, I mean, that's just, that's just keeping it real. Anyway, um, so very, very excited about that. You guys encouraged by that? That exciting? Awesome. Love that generosity. So we're in a series right now called Hindrance, and the big ideas in this series, really quick, just kind of review, is that God is always doing work. He's always working. That's the first big idea. You know, that's life-changing in and of itself. The second one is even more life-changing, that he asks us to partner with him, or he invites us to partner with him to do his work. And this series, what the series is really all about, is that we can either be a help to this process, or we can be a hindrance to this process, right? And that's where we got the name of this series, Hindrance, that, that, uh, that God wants to work through you. And are you going to cooperate with him and be a, a vessel or a tool? Or are you going to actually prevent him from blessing people that he wants to bless through you and through your life? And so we talked about, you know, getting our mindset uh, aligned with God's mindset in week one. Last week, we talked about bringing faith to the table and how essential it is to have faith in order to, to, to work with God. And so today, what I want to do is talk about a third way that we can potentially hinder the work of God, and that is, and this isn't going to be a very fun idea, but I promise you it's necessary, and that is hypocrisy. 
hypocrisy. In your notes there, we hinder the work of God with hypocrisy. Now, if I were to, you know, kind of pick a, pick a, a topic to do a sermon on, this wouldn't be the topic, okay? I like to talk about positive things. I'm an excited person. I like Jesus and God and, and everything. But I do have to talk about some difficult things sometimes and because it's essential for us to see the work of God done in our midst. Hypocrisy hinders the work of God. What is hypocrisy? What does it really look like to be a hypocrite? Well, in your notes there, basically hypocrisy is pretending to be something that you're not. It's wearing a mask. It's pretending to be something that you're not. It's putting a mask on and trying to pretend that you're more spiritual than you are or you're, you're more organized than you are or you're more, I don't know, you're smarter than you really are. It's just, it's faking. It's wearing a mask. Now around these days, you know, Halloween is here and I guess it's tomorrow and our kids will put costumes on and it'll be fine and they'll collect candy and everybody will laugh and it'll be a good time. And wearing a mask during Halloween is okay because it's fun. But wearing a mask in the spiritual life or in real life is not very fun and it's not very helpful. It's actually very damaging and it hinders the work of God. Unfortunately, many Christians are are known for being hypocrites. Years ago, uh, a couple years ago, there was a book published called Unchristian which if you're a serious-minded Christian and you really want to partner with God and, and make a difference in this world, you have to read this book. This research was done by the Barna Group and they basically interviewed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of outsiders, people who, who are not believers in Christ. They wanted to know, what is your perception of born-again Christians? Like, what do you believe about them? And so they came up with these six big ideas that, you know, most Christians hate gay people. Most Christians are too political. Most Christians are judgmental. Most Christians are just interested in getting you to go to heaven when you die. And, and then one of the big things is hypocritical. That most Christians are hypocritical. Listen to, the, listen to what the book says. Among young outsiders, those between the ages of 18 and 24, those are young outsiders, young unbelievers, 84% say that they personally know at least one committed Christian. Yet just 15% thought the lifestyles of those Christ followers were significantly different from the norm. No difference in their life. Yeah, they say they're Christians, with their mouth. They may even go to church, but I don't really see a difference in their life. There's a gap. There's a, there's a, there's a difference between what they say they believe and what they actually believe. And, and that's just, unfortunately, what Christians are known for. That we say we believe something about, you know, sex inside the context of marriage, and then we go outside of marriage and we have sex. That we say we believe that you, you shouldn't get drunk or alcohol is, you know, is not something that you should abuse, and then we go out and we abuse it. Or we say we believe you shouldn't, you know, look at pornography or that's not right or whatever, and then we, then we go ahead and use it. No, no, no real statistical difference between believers and unbelievers. And there's a huge gap between what we say we believe and what we actually believe. We say we shouldn't worry about things and we shouldn't, and then we go and we worry about it. We say we shouldn't gossip or talk bad about people. We should love our neighbor as ourselves, and then we go and we bash people on Facebook or something like that, right? And then people are looking at that and they say, man, that's, there's a gap there. There's a huge difference. Now, here's the problem with all that. Here's the problem with hypocrisy, and here's why it hinders the work of God. God actually wants to use your life to bring others to faith in him. 
Like, the whole, like that's the story we find ourselves living in as Christ followers. Like God, God's plan is to reach people who are outside of the faith with your life. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. He said it this way, let your light shine. Let it shine before people that they might see your good works or your manner of life or the things that you're producing in your life and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Your life is to be a demonstration of what it looks like to be a Christ follower. Your life is to draw people in to faith. The problem is, is that hypocrisy pushes people away from faith in God. What they conclude is that the whole thing is a sham. The whole thing doesn't work. Like what you say you believe and what you actually believe are different, and, 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 and I'm not interested in your faith because of your hypocrisy. Listen to how C.S. Lewis said it in his book, Mere Christianity. When Christians behave badly or fail to behave well, we're making Christianity unbelievable to the outside world. You with me? Yes? I know this is tough stuff. I promise I'll get a little bit more encouraging here in just a little bit. We got to deal with the reality of it, though, that when we fail to behave well, when we fail to do the right thing, we make Christianity unbelievable to the outside world. They simply point at us, they point at us and they say, hypocrites. I don't want anything to do with it. Which is why when you open the Bible, and I hope you do on a regular basis, I encourage you to read the Bible all the time. I, I'll lead the way. I'll go myself. I read it again this morning by myself in my, in, in, in my home. That when you read the Bible, here's what you find. You find these encouragements and these literal warnings to, to not be a hypocrite. Listen to what Paul said in Philippians chapter 1. He said, only let your manner of life, the way that you do your marriage, the way that you handle your attitude, the way that you handle a difficult situation at work, the way that you parent your children, the way that you ha handle your finances, the, the whole, how, let your whole manner of life be, say it with me, well, a little bit better than that, come on, a little, let it be worthy of the gospel. Let it match up, let it align. Let there, let, don't let there be a gap between what you say you believe and what you actually are doing with your life. Let it reflect the teachings of Christ and the character of Christ. Why is there a warning about this? Because when there's a gap, when there's a gap, when there's a difference, and then we deny the difference, there are catastrophic consequences. People literally walk away from Christianity. This happened in the, in the Old Testament. Israel, many of you know this, some of you don't, but Israel was supposed to be this shining light to the rest of the world. And God was supposed to demonstrate to the rest of the world what it looked like for a nation to live under the authority of God and be blessed by God as God was their king. But of course, as you know, Israel disobeyed and they were dis, you know, started worshiping idols. And, and so Paul addresses this whole thing in Romans chapter 2 and he's talking to the Jewish priests. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 2. Well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? <laughs> hey guys, stop, stop preaching at other people and preach to yourself. Why? Look what he says here. So you tell others not to steal, but do you steal? That's a rhetorical question. What do you think the answer was? Yeah, you guys are telling others not to steal and then you're stealing. He says, you say it's wrong to commit adultery, but are you committing adultery? They absolutely were, right? So they're saying one thing and they're doing another. He continues, watch this. You condemn idolatry, but, you see item, but do you use items stolen in pagan temples? You're so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. And then watch his conclusion. Watch this. This is so important for us today. No wonder the scriptures say the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. No wonder they, they talk negatively about who God is. That's what it means to blaspheme, to talk evil about something sacred. No wonder they're, they're, they're destroying the name of God 
and our whole system of faith because of you. He's saying your hypocrisy is tripping people up. Listen, it's no different for us today. C.S. Lewis was exactly right. When Christians fail to behave well or when we behave badly, we are making Christianity unbelievable to the outside world. Here's the conclusion they come to. It just doesn't work. How many teenagers have walked away from church because of watching their parents inside the home? Maybe you did that when you were growing up. You just couldn't wait to get out of the home because you were raised in a home. Your parents brought you to church, but inside the home, mom and dad didn't live it out. There's a lot of hypocrisy, a lot of gaps, and you're like, the whole thing's a sham. It doesn't work. And maybe now, now that you're in your 30s, you're back and say, man, I need to rethink this or figure this out. Maybe there's something true to this whole thing. But the hypocrisy tripped you up. That's what happens. That's what it does. It hinders the work of God. No wonder Peter said this in 1 Peter chapter 2. So put away all malice and deceit and, say with me, hypocrisy. Put down, basically what he's saying here is put down the mask. Get rid of it. Stop faking. It destroys the work of God. God wants to use your life to bless people. And when, you're, when there's a hypocrisy going on, when we act as hypocrites, it hinders the work of God. So what I want to do today is talk to you about how to get rid of hypocrisy. Not so that you can be a good Christian necessarily. It, that'll, be, that'll happen by default. But so that your life will actually shine before others and they might see your good works and give glory to God who is in heaven. See, that's the context that we're teaching here. God wants to bless you, yes, but he wants to bless others through you. How is he going to do that? He's going to close the gap between what you say you believe and what you actually believe with your life. Does that make sense? So that's what we're going to talk about. Three ways. Number one, how do we get rid of hypocrisy? We have to start by getting real. We have to start by getting real. What I mean by this is to get honest about who you are to yourself, to God, to get honest. Here's what's really happening in my life. Here's who I really am as a person. The word that comes to mind is transparency. Transparency, you know, it's just what you see is what you get. Now, here's what I don't mean by transparency, that you tell everybody everything about your life. <laughs> Some of you do that on Facebook. And uh, that's not transparency, that's stupidity, <laughs> right? That's immaturity, right? You don't, nobody wants to know what you had for lunch, nor do they care about your opinions, your, especially about politics. So just keep them to yourself. You know, so it's just transparent. I don't mean, I don't mean by getting real, just telling everybody everything and blah, blah, blah. Listen, most people don't know you and most people don't care. So just, you know, tidy that up. Anyway, but what I do mean is to just be real. When people actually have an interaction with you that there's no pretense, you, like, what they see is what they get. That's just you. You're not, you're not a chameleon. You're not turning colors. You're not acting a certain way with this group of people and a certain way with this group of people. You just are who you are. And one something that's really helped me with that, I don't have this perfectly figured out, but I'm on my journey, my faith journey, there's a lot of scriptures that really help me in this uh, to get real. One of them is in flip, uh, Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, the Bible says this, Nothing in all creation is, say it with me, hidden. Nothing is hidden in God's sight. He sees it all. Everything is naked and exposed before his, say it with me, his eyes. God sees everything. There's no such thing as a private moment. Not in your bathroom, not in your basement. There's nowhere that God doesn't see your life. In fact, it goes beyond seeing the physical. He goes into your thoughts and he goes into your motives and he even sees what's not physical in here and in here. Nothing goes unnoticed by him, right? And then it goes further than that. 
Not only does he see everything that's going on, but he's also the one that we have to give an account to. He's also the one that when we die, we'll have to answer for every waking moment, every waking moment, every nook and cranny, every hour, every decision that's gone on in our entire lives. We will give an account to him on judgment day. His eyes, his opinion is the one that matters, not mine, not yours. Listen, when I go to my judgment seat, you're not going to be there. It's not going to be me and you and Jesus. It's going to be me and Jesus, and he's going to judge my life. Now, on the flip side, when, when, when you get judged, he may call me up <laughs> because I'm your pastor. That'd be interesting, wouldn't it? I'll try to fill in some gaps for you and help if I can. <laughs> no, he won't call me up. It's going to be him, and it's going to be you, and he's going to give an, you're going to have to give an account for your entire life. Everything that you've cho- chosen to do. So there, there really is, it's really pathetic to try to think that you can hide from God or fake it in front of God, right? So, so this is the first step to helping a person kind of get real. Well, God sees everything. I mean, there's no point in hiding from people. If he sees what I'm really like, there's no point in hiding from my wife. If he sees what I'm like, there's no point in hiding from my children. It's just like if, if, if I live before the eyes of God and he sees all, then what's the point of hide, trying to hide from somebody else? I'm just going to be who I am. Now, when a person gets real, here's, here's, remember what we're talking about here. We're talking, the context that, that we're talking about is making a difference and being a light to other people and bringing them into faith because of the way you live, right? That's the context we're teaching this. So what ends up happening is when you begin to get real, people actually begin to trust you. And that interesting how that works. Uh, like when you get honest about who you are, people start to open up and they say, well, I know he's not perfect. I know she's not perfect, but man, they're honest. And I can listen to an honest person like, isn't that the problem with the political situation right now? <laughs> None of us believe anything that's being said about anybody. <laughs> like there's no honesty. Like so everybody, like there's people out there, we're going to talk about this a little, a little bit next week, but there's, there's people out there that are just, they're just done with the whole situation because they can't trust anybody. Because everybody's doing, doing this number right here. No, I really didn't, and I really didn't say, and I really am not like that, and <laughs> I really didn't. It's just, a, it's just a charade, right? But when you're honest, when you're honest, people begin to actually say, well, I can trust that person. And remember, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about having influence with outsiders and bringing them into faith. So number one, we got to get real. Let's move to number two. Number two. It's so important. And number two actually helps you do number one. See, some of you don't want to do number one because you're afraid if you took the mask off and you actually reveal who you are, like what are your friends going to say? They might say, you're gross. You know, I don't want anything to do with you. Well, if you're really like that, then, you know, they, I'm going to distance myself from you, right? If you really show your spouse or your wife or whoever, you know, who, who you are. That's where number two comes in. We've got to get perspective. We've got to get perspective on ourselves, on what God thinks about us and what we think about ourselves. This is so radically important. In order, in order to do number one, we have to do number two. We have to view ourselves the way God views us. See, here's a, here's a big problem that most people have, myself included. If Jesus walked through this door today, just the back door, and he came in, and he had time for every single one of us, and he had, he had a moment to, to look into every single one of our eyes and tell us how he feels about us, what his view about us is, and he can only do it with one word, what would that word be? And he just had enough time to say one word to each one of us. And I know some of you are thinking theologically, and you're probably thinking, well, he's probably, probably obligated to say love. Because he's God, and God is love. 
But in the recesses of our mind, in the recesses of our heart, myself included, here's what I think he would say. Disappointed. Disappointed. And the reason that you think that, and the reason that I think that at times, is because I really don't understand fully how he thinks about me or what he thinks about me. I struggle with that. Disappointed. It's real. I'm being honest with you. I'm being real with you. Because of sin, because of shame, because of past mistakes, because of, because of, because of, and you got the list, right? He looks over your life and he goes, you should be further. You should be better by now. Disappointed. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand today, but I know many of you would say, man, that's, you just nailed it for me. Let me help you with something that, that has helped me. And, and again, I'm not through this, but I'm working through it. There's a story in Luke chapter 19 that helps me. Every time I start going down that path of, man, God must be so angry with me, disappointed with me. I go back to Luke 19 to kind of help myself. Luke 19, Jesus is walking down the road. There's a crowd of people around him. And there's a guy named Zacchaeus. And if you know the story, if you went to Sunday school, Zacchaeus was a bad dude. He was a tax collector, but not just any tax collector. He was the top dog tax collector, which meant he could just, just do whatever he wanted. He worked for the government. So what he would do is overcharge people on their taxes. He would pay the government their share, and he would pocket the difference. So he was incredibly rich because he was stealing. And everybody knew it, and no one could do anything about it because he worked for the government. So when Zacchaeus came by, you had to pay him. And so apparently Zacchaeus was feeling bad about his lifestyle. He had heard about this grace giver, this mercy giver, this Jesus who was healing people in town. He said, man, I got to get, get a look at this guy. And if you know the story, he went to go see Jesus that day, but because he was what? Because he was short. Some of you don't know the story. The Bible word phrases, he was small in stature. He was a short little guy. He climbed up into a tree to see Jesus, just to get a glimpse of this mercy giver, right? He gets up in the tree. There's a crowd of people. Jesus is walking down the road, and something incredible happens that has huge implications to you and me. Watch this in Luke, Luke chapter 19. When Jesus came by, he looked up he took the time to look up to one person with a sea of people all around him. He stops for one individual person and he looks up and he locks eyes. And then he goes, it goes further. Watch what happens. He called him by name. He's Zacchaeus, he said. Amazing. Think of it. If he walked into the room today, he could look at you. He could lock eyes with you and he would call your name. Seven billion people on the planet. And he would take time to do that for you. Zacchaeus, he says, and he goes further. Quick, come down. Get out of the tree. I'm coming to your house tonight for some steak. <laughs> we are going to eat, my friend. Now, this has huge implications. In those days, according to research and people that have studied more than I have, Eating a meal in those days had huge significance. Listen to what Brennan Manning said about it. He said, in the East, to share a meal with someone is a symbol of peace, trust, brotherhood, and forgiveness. The shared table is a shared life. To say to an Orthodox Jew, I would like to have dinner with you back then, is understood, and even is today understood, to say, I would like to enter into a friendship with you. 
Which is exactly why when Jesus said, get out of that tree, I'm coming to your home tonight, all of the critics who heard him say that, they were appalled. How, you, how could you do that? How could you go to the house of a sinner? Religious people don't mix with sinners, and he's the worst of the worst. How could you eat a meal with that guy? That must mean that you accept him. That must mean that you're his friend. That must mean that you love him. And when I go back to this story, guys, I don't know about you, this is just me. When I hear that story, and I ask myself, why did he go to his house that night? And the only answer is, he loved him. He loved him. He saw his stealing and his thievery and all of the money and all all the crooked things that he had ever done. And he said, I'm coming to your house tonight. And I hear his voice in my head and in my heart. And he says, Danny, I know, I know, I know you blew it. I know you blew it. But let's have a meal. Let's eat. Let's dine. And what I hear is God say, in the midst of all your sin, I accept you. And I love you. Wow. You're going to clap. Clap for Jesus. Clap for him. Here's how that relates to, well, how, what, does that, what does it have to do with hypocrisy, overcoming hypocrisy? Here, here's the, let, me kick the, let me connect the dots for you. When I find my sense of worthiness or value from what Jesus thinks about me, and all my sin and all my shame and all that stuff, and all those, those emotional, psychological, spiritual, spiritual needs are met by him, guess what ends up happening in my relationship to you? I need your opinion and affirmation and validation much less. Because this has risen up. And therefore, my need for affirmation by other people, even my spouse, goes down. Not that I don't need it at all, but it just goes down as this goes up. And that's what allows me to do number one. Number one is to get real. Here's who I am. Warts, sins, failures, stupidity. It's just what it is. It's just what it is. I don't want it to be that way. It's just the way it is. How can I do that? How can I stand up? Some people say to me, how come you're so honest sometimes from the platform? The only reason is because of number two, of the perspective. Jesus says, Danny, I've seen it all. Nothing is hidden from my sight, and I absolutely love you, and I would like to eat with you. Why do I need to fake? Why do you need to fake after that point? I can put the mask down, and so can you. Now, if you just did number one and number two, you literally would overcome hypocrisy. You would. Because a hypocrite is not somebody that doesn't have inconsistencies. A hypocrite is someone who says, there is no inconsistency. I am holy, and I am righteous, and there's no gap, and and they pretend, and they fake, right? That's the hypocrite. The honest person is not a hypocrite. They're saying, no, there's a gap. There is a gap. I suck in a lot of ways. I do. They're honest about it. That's just what you call a bad Christian. (laughs) See that? It's not a hypocrite. It's just a bad Christian. There's huge gaps. I lose my temper. I get drunk. I do this. I lie. I steal. When I get in a tight situation, I get stressed out. I stop trusting God. Like, that's just a bad Christian. But that's not hypocrisy. You, You with me, yes or no? That's admitting what's real about me. And that's not good, and that's why we can't stay at number one, number two. We must go to number three, because I don't think anybody here wants to be a bad Christian. Anybody want to sign up to be a bad Christian? No, we don't want to be bad Christians. In fact, you know, we're not going to get very far with people if we're really bad Christians. They're going to say the whole thing doesn't work, right? 
It might be just as bad as being a hypocrite. Well, not quite as bad. So we got to go to number three, and that is get better. We got to get real. We got to get perspective, and then we have to get better. We have to close the gap between what we say we believe and we, what we actually believe, between the, in, the, in, the, in the areas of inconsistency. And this is where we have to go into the real source of the problem. And the real source of the problem is where? Where's the real source of the problem? It's in the heart. Listen to Proverbs 4. Watch this. Above all else, watch over, guard, protect, put boundaries around, put armor on, your, on yourself if you have to, around your, on your what? Your heart. Why? Because everything you do comes from your heart. Every choice, every decision, every word, every reaction, every response comes from within. Listen to how Jesus talked about this in Matthew 15. He said, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from where? From the heart, from the insides, from the soul, right? And that's what defiles a person. Now, what does the insides look like? The insides of you and the insides of me are made up of a couple of components. Our thoughts, our mindsets, our attitudes, our our emotions and desires and appetites, and our will, which is the place where we make our choice. The will is influenced both by the thoughts and the desires and the appetites. Those, those, Those two things converge upon the will, and then we make our decisions to spend or not to spend, to speak or not to speak, right? To react or to not react. It's the mind, it's the emotions, and it's the desires, right? When those those three things are out of alignment when they're not functioning under the authority of God's will or God's word we make really poor choices even as Christ followers and that's where the gap those that's where the gaps come in and so that's how Christ followers can can be dominated by anger or they can be dominated by greed or the pursuit of material possessions or they can be dominated by lust and pornography and adultery and all those sorts of things. You know anybody like this? Like Christians like who come to church regularly but their life is dominated by these types of things. And there's huge gaps in their life. How? It's because their soul is out of order. Their soul is out of order. The mind, the emotions, and the appetites are influencing the will in the incorrect ways. And that's why we have to go to the source. How do you close the gap? You, go, you gotta work on the soul. You gotta work on the soul. You gotta work on the mind. You gotta work on the appetites and the desires and the emotions. And then the choices will begin to change. That includes the body and the bodily habits that you have that you've developed years and years and years outside of a walk with Christ. So that's why you always hear me talk about things like silence and solitude. Because that's where you work on the soul. Hey, get away from the noise. Turn the phone off. Get, out of, get off the Facebook. You know, don't check it first thing in the morning. Make sure you carve out time to be with Jesus in the morning. What are you doing in those times? What are you doing in those secret moments where no one else is around and everything is turned off and the radio's off and the TV's off and, and the phone is silenced? You know what you're doing? You're working on the soul. You're working on your thoughts. You're working on your emotions and your appetites and your desires. And you're bringing all those things underneath God's rule and God's reign. And that's how you start to close the gap. That's where you go from being a person who's controlled by anger to a person of peace. A person who's controlled by lust to a person who's controlled by purity about, and when it comes to the opposite sex. That's where you actually change and close the gap. And as you, you practice those disciplines of Sabbath and silence and solitude and confessing sin and, you know, with another believer and you do these sorts of things like study and worship and maybe you throw some fasting in there. Maybe, you, you know, do you have some structured prayer times and you have all these spiritual practices that, that shape the soul? The gap starts to close. And guess what happens then? Something beautiful. You actually, you actually begin to take on the character of Christ. You actually begin to look like, feel like, smell like, taste like, Jesus. You know, somebody said, Danny, why are you a pastor? What's the goal of Emmanuel? Like, what's the purpose of the church? Here's what I would say. 
Close the gap. We're going to actually become like Christ. We're going to train. We're going to look at everything he said to do. We're going to try to do it. We're going to try to become people who actually have the fruit of the Spirit flowing out of them consistently as they parent their children. Ooh, that's a good one. (laughs) Right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control with your kids. Right? You can, we can do that. We can actually turn the other cheek. We can actually love our enemies. We can actually pray for them. These are the things that Jesus said. We can become the type of person who, to, to whom forgiveness is the natural response when we've been crossed. Whoa. Listen, you get 1,000 or 2,000 or 3,000 people living that way. What would it do to a community like this? It would flip it upside down, would it not? People who are actually becoming like Christ, they're closing the gap. See, it's not enough to get real. It's not enough to get perspective. We have to get better. And that happens through a series of spiritual practices and spiritual disciplines with God's grace and help working in there and helping us to change our insides. Man, this is exciting stuff. Hey, this is not a sermon. Let me tell you something. This is not a sermon. This is like, this is like life right here. Like when we leave here, we're going to try to actually get real, get perspective, and get better. You feeling me? This exciting? Now, now all the stuff is, let me, let, me, let me wrap this up. Let me wrap this up and we'll get out of here, okay? I know there's a Colts game. Some of you, you, you know, you have friends there and all that stuff. Um, but this is better than the Colts game. Is this better than the Colts game? This is real. Listen, let me, let me, let me, let me finish this way. There are people waiting. There are people in your life waiting for, for what you say you believe uh, for, your, for your manner of life to match up with what you say you believe. There are people waiting in your life, in your proximity. They're just waiting for your manner of life to match up what you say you believe. Listen, moms, 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 you're, you're raising kids. You, you, know, you know, you come to church. Your kids are watching. Your kids are waiting. They're waiting for what, what, what you say you believe to match up what's actually true about you. And as the kids get older, they're like, they're like detectives. They're like, take notes. Mom's a worry wart. The Bible says, don't worry. She worries all the time. Hypocrite. <laughs> That's what they do. They're, just like, they're looking for the cracks. Are they not? Like, they're, like dads, 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 your kids are waiting. They're waiting for your life to start to reflect, you know, church values in the Bible and what Jesus taught. They're just waiting. They're, they're, just, they're, not, they're actually acting like the judge and jury of your life to see if Christianity is really something that they should invest in when they leave the home. Hello, why do so many teenagers abandon church after they leave the house? It's because they have decided, they've convicted their parents and they've said it does not work. They're hypocrites and they leave the church and they never, never come back. Some of you did that and now you're back after a decade. There are people waiting, there are coworkers waiting, there's a boss waiting. They're watching. Somebody's watching your life and they're waiting for your manner of life to match up what you say you believe. How long will they wait? How long? I've just decided they're not going to wait. I'm going to address the gaps. I got lots of gaps. Talk to my wife, talk to my kids. I say, oh, there's gaps. (laughs) Yeah. So, but I have to, I have to go after those gaps. I have to, I have to be honest about them, get God's perspective. And I have to, I have to make plans to close those gaps. And so do you. If, listen, if you want to be used by God. Now, if you don't care about being used by God, this sermon means nothing to you. 
absolutely nothing. You're going to walk out of here and you're going to say, okay, that was fine, but you don't want to be used by God, so you're not going to do anything. And I have nothing to say to you. But if you want to be used by God, oh, man, get with him. Work on the gaps. Go to your silence and solitude. Go to your time with God and say, God, will you change me? Help me to think better and feel better and act better so that the gaps can begin to close, so that my life can be used for your glory and your honor. How long will they wait? Now, there's some of you here today that the reason you're not a Christ follower is because uh, of the hypocrisy of other Christ followers. And I would just say to you, I would say to you, don't let our inconsistencies cause you to stay away from Christ. Don't do that. I've heard many people say that before. Well, the reason I'm not a Christian is because of hypocrites. And you know, when people say that to me in Starbucks or wherever I'm at, you know what I say to them? We got room for one more. They say, I don't go to church because church is full of hypocrites. We got another seat. <laughs> we, got, we got an extra. Come join us. Now, of course, I say that in love, and there's a joke. It's a joke. But I would urge you today, don't let the inconsistencies of other Christ followers stop you from experiencing the love and the grace that is available through Christ. And perhaps something's clicked for you today. And you know that you need to step into this. You know that you need Christ in your life. I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. It's a prayer I prayed when I was 17. I didn't really know what I was doing. I just knew that I believed in Christ, that he died on the cross, he rose again for me. And so I I reached out to him in faith and I said, Jesus, will you be my savior? And my life was changed. Not completely, but in that moment I received grace and forgiveness. Perhaps this is your moment right now. If you feel pulled into this moment to put your faith in Christ, would you just simply close your eyes and bow your head and take my words, use them as your own, and trust Christ as your Savior. Just say this to him right now. He's listening. Dear Jesus, I reach out to you in faith. I believe you died on the cross for me. You rose again the third day to wash away all my sin, the guilt, and the shame to give me eternal life and abundant life. Make me your child right now. I trust you. And from this day forward, I want to partner with you. I want to be used by you to make a difference. Use my life to bring others to faith in you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Hey, if you just prayed that simple prayer, we would like to rejoice with you, wouldn't we, guys? Wouldn't we love that? Can we give God praise today? And I know some of you are trying to get out of here to watch Colts game, but real quick, real quick, (laughs) if you prayed that prayer, I'm going to tell you what somebody told me. Somebody said, hey, grab a Bible, begin reading it. I promise you God's going to show you what he's like. He's going to show you what you're like. He's going to show you what he needs to do in your life. He's going to show you what God wants, what he wants you to do with your life. I was like, okay, I'm all in. So I grabbed the Bible, I started reading, and it's never been the same in my life. And so I'm going to do the same thing for you. I'm going to take it a step further. We're going to give you a free Bible today if you pray to receive Christ. This table's back here to my left. I've got friends over there to the right. If you're in the balcony, you can come down. If you pray to receive Christ today, go grab one of these Bibles and begin reading today. You can go to today's date, October 30th. Where is it? Uh, You know where it is. It's right in there. It's broken down by dates. You can begin reading, and you'll begin growing in your faith. Again, can we give God glory today for what he's done?
Hey, will you stand with me really quick? Will you stand with me as I close in prayer? This is a lot of fun, guys. I know this was a hard talk today, but it's worth it. We don't want to be a hindrance to the work of God, right? We want to be a help. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we offer ourselves to you today. We want to cooperate with the work that you're doing in the world. People are in need of eternal life, abundant life. They are in need of knowing you as their Savior. And we are here as your vessels, as your instruments. Use us, God. May our light so shine before other people that they would be drawn in to faith in you by the way we live. May we live our lives, God, in such a way that those who know us and don't know God would want to know you because they know us. May they see you through our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, I love you so much. It's a privilege to be your pastor. Next week, we're going to take a break on this series. We're going to address, kind of address some things going on in our world and finish up week number four the following week. You're not going to want to miss it. Bring a friend.